yawn and I haven't even started yet. All right, I'm watching you. Okay. Job chapter 7, beginning of verse 1. Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? Like a servant who earnestly desires the shade. Like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. So I have been allotted months of futility. Wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be ended? For I've had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye never again will see good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Lord God Almighty, as we look into this deep and somewhat sorrowful passage from thy word, we pray the work of thy Holy Spirit to give insight, to give illumination, that we might understand what it is that thou art saying thy church through this word we ask through Christ amen the book of Job has given comfort and confusion and conflict to many over all the generations how often still in this ever darkening culture someone who has a bad series of events or occurrences for health or otherwise, are still linked to Job. People still talk about the patience of Job. And really, the patience, it's not really so much patience for Job, it is endurance and perseverance. Because Job was not particularly patient in the midst of all that was going on, and understandably so. When Job had lost his children, he had lost his livestock and livelihood. And then he had lost his health. And not in a gentle or, or easy kind of way. <clears throat> but suddenly stricken, <clears throat> no symptoms, <clears throat> excuse me, just immediate dissemination, <clears throat> particularly of his skin, balls break out all over. He has what we might even say a full body case of shingles. And we see in verse 5 the hard description of his condition. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. 
oozing sores and maggots. And where his skin attempted to heal, it only breaks and oozes again. It's like the words of Isaiah 14 and verse 11. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. Job is like a decaying body while he is still alive. So in this passage, we find that after a few dialogues with those who are supposed to be his friend, Job is defending his wish to die. And we see him contrast in the midst of this, this life and the life <clears throat> that is to come. He says in verse 1, is this not a time of hard service for man on earth? And King James has the appointed time. This is not an appointed time. <clears throat> that word here that translated hard service or appointed and most often is translated warfare. Sometimes referred to as an army marching off to war. So we could see that in this there's an appointed time for the hard conflict with evil that we all experience in this world. And it's an appointed time, a time set up for us a set time for our coming into the world, a set time for our continuing in that life, and a set time for this life to end. A set time that we are no more upon the earth. And so it is a reference to our time here, contrasted to that which is to come our future state, which is going to be an everlasting state. Now, there will be no limited time. <clears throat> uh, time does not count up. Time does not count down in the world to come. And as we read last week, for the believers at the right hand of Christ, our pleasures forevermore. Now this idea of brevity and such are, are, are themes that, that will be returned to. Uh, if we go to chapter 14 of the book of Job, uh, we find <clears throat> that in verse 1, man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Verse 5, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Verse 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. It is an echo also of what we Familiarly know in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verses 1 through 2, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. And sometimes people talk about, well, this one sure cheated death. 
But a deliverance from God out of some kind of, of terrible situation means clearly that that was not the appointed time of your end here on earth. <clears throat> it's good for us to remember that this world is not yet redeemed. It is still fallen. It is still very sinful. And life can truly be hard. The Stoic philosophers were known to say, every man's state on earth is a state of warfare. In Isaiah chapter 40, there are some familiar words. A command from God of Isaiah to follow. It's a, a pleasing command to our ears. In Isaiah 40 and verse 1, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to the people. Well, what is the comfort that he's supposed to speak? Well, verse 2, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. One, that her warfare is ended. And two, that her iniquity is pardoned. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. There are those who deny that there is warfare in this world. That life is a warfare. That teach that life should be a series of nothing but one pleasure after another. Or one happy blessing after another. But that's not the scripture model. Remember what Job said in chapter 14 and verse 14. All the days of my hard service, I will wait. The contrary message, the one that this life should be easy and trouble-free, does not find itself in scripture, but seems to be the most popular teaching in so many areas of our, our country. The warfare, the hard labor is seen in unbelievers as well. And usually that war is against each other. People use the term like it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. I get a picture of two hot dogs going And that warfare in mankind comes from an inordinate desire or lust. James says, where do wars and strives come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? For believers, that warfare was first told of us in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. When the Children of the serpent would be at war against the children of the woman. And we will have, as believers, war within and war without. Uh, we will have, at the same time as believers, 
our captain out in front of us. Reminding us too that greater is he who is in us than he who is against us. And all that are, are accounted as our enemies will, will be destroyed. I can't help but, but get tremendously irritated when I see the President of the United States almost every single time he appears now because I know what he supports. And I know that he supports the mutilation of children for a false idea that somehow you could become something that you weren't born to be. That you can attack God's creation and get through this world without any kind of problem. And that now he's even going to have a task committee that will force you to accept this alternate kind of, of mindset and world. And he does that with a certain pride. And you realize and you, you think, oh, I just would love to have a moment to try to, to point him in the right direction that you can't change God's created order. You're attacking God in what you do. And those who sit in office only do so for a short period of time. And yes, in that time they can do damage. And especially in the time that we live, we're saying some people are seemingly getting too much justice and others are not getting enough. But we forget that this life is short. And everyone who is not a believer must stand before the judgment seat of God to receive what they have done. And so while we get worked up, let's remember nobody is getting away with anything. And there is not a court on the face of the earth that can deliver the sentence that a holy God can deliver against the wicked. Job says, are not his days as a hired man? Even in that setting, that time is set, fixed, settled. Those who would hire workers would hire them for a specific period of time, even for one day. And they are days of labor and toil. And at this point, he begins to speak to God. He's been speaking to those who have been berating him about, well, all this that's happening to you has to be because you've been wicked and done bad things. But we remember right from the very beginning of the book of Job, how God himself described Job. In verse 2, he says, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. In the day that Job is speaking, in the day that they had those labors like that, the time of day was measured by the length of the shadow that you cast on the ground, which probably could be confusing on an overcast day. (laughs) 
It was at the end of the day he would receive his wages. Uh, in Matthew 20, verse 5, starting verse 5, we have that parable that Jesus gives of the workers, of the man who goes out and at different times of the day appoints different workers to work in his fields, all for the same wage, and then at the end of the day, he pays them. So all the workers couldn't wait till the end of the day when they would receive their denarius, the, the amount of money that was equal to a day's work. <clears throat> so verse 3, he says, So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. And when I lie down, I say, when shall I rise? And the night be ended, for I have had my full of tossing till dawn. In this life, in this time, he says, I've been allotted months. In essence, he's speaking of days, but because of his suffering, days seem like months. My inheritance in this life is emptiness. I could look forward to the end of the day, but then at night I, <clears throat> excuse me, I find no rest. I toss and I turn all night trying to find a place of comfort. You ever think about that at night? Sometimes you can't sleep. You, you toss and turn. You keep trying to find a particular position that might be conducive to sleep. And here, Job can find no such position because every position he gets into is a place where there is soreness and pain. And he speaks of the speed with which his days pass, not as they were in his days of affliction, because those days seem as months, but the, the fleeting swiftness of the days of his prosperity. But these days are spent without hope. Not without hope in the happiness of another world, but without hope that the way of life that Job once knew, the prosperity and the peace, he's thinking will never, ever return to him again. How could he, in the situation that he's in, ever think that things would ever become as they once were? That I will never see good against, again in this world. If we turn to Isaiah chapter 38... Isaiah 38 and in verse 10, I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol or to the grave. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Yah, Yahweh, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. That was Hezekiah when he told us. Life was about to come to an end. 
as we come back to chapter 7. In the brevity of, of, of life in, in verse 6, he says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. We don't get to see weavers at work that much anymore, but you can in some places where they have that set out. And on the end of what uh, uh, is the, called the shuttle is the thread that they pass through, and it, it just speeds through. In fact, I believe if I'm right, the nickname for that shuttle was a racer. Not an eraser, but a racer. And if you look at the shape of the shuttle and you look at the first race cars, there's there's a connection there. But boy, they could, a good weaver could make that, uh, the shuttle fly through in just seconds and pew, send it right on back again. And he says, this is the kind of, of days, my former days, they just seem to pass so very quickly. He says in verse 7, oh, remember that my life is a breath and my eye will never again See good. This is a heavy hand of God upon me. It's reminded me of my frailty, the frailty of my life. And my life is as a morning mist that smoke out of a, a chimney. Isn't it interesting? If you watched the Belmont uh, race yesterday, it took place in New York where just two days ago you couldn't see the buildings in, in downtown Manhattan. But when you looked at what was going on yesterday, it was as clear as possible. Smoke had passed. It was gone. Augustine makes a point that when you stand in a river or a creek, you never see the same water again. Whereas you look down, that water's passed, and there's different water coming towards you. He says, my eye will never again see good. That's temporal goodness. Goodness, like he said, we had had, he had had before. So now that's his look at his current life, and, and now he looks to that which is to come after as he dies, looking at death. Verse 8, the eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. It shall see me no more. This world won't see me anymore. The, the mortal state, in that mortal state, I will not return to this life again. And again, this kind of idea is brought up in so many places. Just quickly in Psalm 103, in verses 15 and 16, we get that, that same kind of idea of the brevity. Psalm 103, verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But there's also an understanding of the power of God in the midst of what he's saying. 
the eye who sees me will see me no more. Those who are around him would not see him in the world to come. That is, after he dies, they would not see him anymore. But for those who know the Lord, know true what David said in Psalm 139, if I ascend to the highest heights, thou art there. If I go to the deepest of depths, thou art there. For us as believers, there's not a place we can go where we will be out of the gaze of God. And also, here's the confession that he makes. And that God can easily, in the blink of an eye, put an end to our lives and send us to another world. One of the most troubling things of death is that we enter into an unseen world. Now, for those who are believers, that's not such a big deal. I mean, as far as something to be afraid of, <clears throat> that's, that's the joy of knowing who we are in the Lord. But for those who are left behind, that's the troubling thing because now we're gone from their sight. We'll see them no more. The word Hades means unseen. So when Hades is referred to, it's the unseen world, the world to which those who have passed on have gone. And the scripture makes a point of that in several places. We think of Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24 tells us that Enoch walked with God and then what? And then he was not. For the Lord took him. He was there one moment. Everybody saw him. And then the next, he was gone. Out of sight. Gone to be with the Lord. In Genesis chapter 42. over in verse 36 <clears throat> and Jacob their father said to them you have bereaved me Joseph is no more Simeon is no more and no place that they can be seen in this world and that's part of the Bereavement that he's going through. He cannot see his sons anymore. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because... They are no more. Gone from sight. No more to be seen 
by the living. But the important thing that we grasp from that, just because they're out of sight doesn't mean they become non-entities. For the Lord brings the souls of the redeemed to be with him. And the souls of the unredeemed go to torment. And here's something that can help us. As David said, at the death of his first son with Bathsheba, I can go to him, but he cannot come to me. And the Lord pointed out in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, departed souls cannot return to the earth. Contrary to the learning channel and discovery and all those who have people who are, quote, ghost hunters, departed souls cannot return to earth. The rich man knew that he could not go back and war, warn his brothers. So he's thinking, well, maybe someone in another state can do that. So it's to send Lazarus. But he knew himself in the place that he was at, he could not go back to where he was to warn his brothers about what has come. They cannot leave their current abode. The body though in the grave, and though returned, uh, reduced to dust, it's not annihilated, but it returns to earth and dust from which they had their origin. That's where God made man out of the dust of the earth. And so I don't understand why some people get so nervous about the fact, well, I'm going to buy all this stuff so when they put me in the ground, I've got a 100-year warranty. That's always one of those things that amazes me. This vault has 100-year warranty. Who's going to come and check? <laughs> I mean, how many people get away with burying their warranty in the ground? But we don't have to worry when we go into the ground. A decaying process has started, but... And, we, and sometimes we can open really old graves and there's nothing there, it seems. But there is. Maybe not to our eye, but God has never forgotten the place of his people. And if he created man out of the dust of the earth, don't you think he can also raise new creation for eternity from that dust as well? Sometimes we read these things in Genesis. You created man from the dust of the ground. Oh, that's pretty neat. <laughs> but he's also going to raise us in the resurrection from the dust as well. From the dust of the earth molded into the new creation, new bodies fit for the new heaven and new earth. But to return once again, thinking of the rich man and, and Lazarus. The rich man called for Lazarus to be sent for his brothers. Again, because he knew he could not go there himself. In Job chapter 16,
Job 16, verse 22, he says, Within a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. The way of no return. Keep that in mind. It's the way of no return. Chapter 20, verse 9, The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place behold him anymore. So what do we deduce? But first, we are clear, I hope, that Job is not denying the resurrection. For in chapter 19 and verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and notice verse 26, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Now, I know it's not the main theme of what we're talking about here, but, but what cannot be denied is throughout all the ages the fascination with ghosts, with departed spirits. And yet, have we not seen over and over and over repeated in the Word of God, not from Job, but also other places as well, that the departed don't come back, that the place they are at is fixed. And so the idea of, of ghosts running around and, and uh, places being haunted, got to be something besides departed souls. And there's a state of suggestibility then that comes in. Because there are churches that teach that the dead may go to four or five different places. So, in essence, they're never at rest because some are in limbo and some are, are here and some are in purgatory. They're kind of the waiting room, waiting for people to, to pay enough for the candles to get enough of an offering to move them from purgatory into heaven. So perhaps there's that idea of, well, you got restless souls waiting to go, get into heaven. I don't know. In most cases, what we understand about ghosts is they're not happy. Casper's the only one that was happy, and his brothers were a mess. It was so bad, he had to go to making mattresses. <laughs> but there's the other thing, too. There's a suggestibility. Well, this person died in a very unhappy way, so they've come back. Now I think, if you died in a very unhappy way, why would you want to return to the place that you were so unhappy? Sometimes it's guilt. That's what so many of these people that uh, claim that they talk to the dead, this is what they're working off most of the time. 
I didn't get to say goodbye. We had a fight before and, and we had all these bad times beforehand and I just wanted a chance to say I'm sorry. And these, these people work on that kind of thing. They, they quiz people beforehand to get some sort of information from, from the people as they come in. They have their workers asking them questions. So, so then when they're having their contact with the dead, why do you think God said those who practice necromancy in the Old Testament should be put to death themselves? Because they're lying to the people. They're saying that they have the power to contact the dead who are in God's hands, not in their hands. There is only one death that we can return from. And that's a word of joy for us. For while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, Christ died for us. That death we can return from. We can come back. We can be resurrected from. By grace, everybody who is a believer will live twice and die once. Everyone who is not a believer will live once and die twice. For the final death, the death of hope, has no place for the believer. And so that's something that is pointed to, and you say, well, aren't you going beyond then what was here? But remember what Job says in chapter 19. I know. <laughs> I know that my Redeemer lives. No matter what condition I go into the ground, I will behold him. I'll behold him in my soul. I'll behold him in my body when he raises it from the dust. And so what do we find? That even in the midst of all this that's going on with him and his despondency over all that has happened to him, once again, a firm footprint of Jesus is seen for us in the book of Job. For Job knew Jesus. And in the midst of all the mess that he was in, he said, I'll yet see him. His faith failed him not because that's a gift from God that the devil or no one else can take away. Let's stand together for prayer.